Hello, everyone. You're listening to the Nehemiah Project podcast. My name is Mike Linstead. I'm the president and co-founder of the Nehemiah Project, where we replace hopelessness with hope. I'm here with Chad Wiles, the director of education and counseling. How are you doing today, Chad? Good. What's going on, Mikey? Man, I just got a haircut. I feel fresh. Feeling feel good. good. Feeling fine. The weather is not humid outside. Dude, this weather is the best. Dude, I love it. I get to go coach the uh, St. Paul's rugby team tonight. Mm. I am uh, looking forward to it. It's such a blessing to be able to like yeah. be involved in the community in that way. Mm-hmm. You know, before I moved here, I was just, you know, as I was praying to God about, you know, what do you want me to do when I get to Louisiana and, mm-hmm. and this and that, you know, I was like, Lord, it'd be really cool if you just allowed me to be a part of a football team, you mm-hmm. know? I wasn't even thinking about rugby because, you know, rugby was a part of my college career, but I didn't know they had it in the schools right. here. And so the Lord blessed me with that. And so I get to go do that later on tonight. And uh, I'm feeling excited, man. I'm feeling yeah, it's blessed. It's going to be fun. Yeah. yeah. It's perfect weather for it. A little nip in the air, you know? This feels like football, rugby, just that type of weather. Yeah. Time of year. Should be illegal to play rugby in the humidity, but it's not. <laughs> I lost 10 pounds. Dude, I played in a rugby tournament uh, probably two, a year and a half ago now. Yeah. It was the uh, Redfish Rugby Sevens tournament. So Rugby Sevens, if you guys out there listening know anything about rugby, it's seven on seven and it's all sprinting. And mm-hmm. so it was a tournament. So I played for rugby from nine in the morning to about 2 p.m. Yeah. And I lost 10 pounds that day. Yeah. It was in August. Yeah. Yeah. I'm <laughs> it was 100 degrees of like 99% drink. humidity. Did you drink like uh, two gallons of water that day? I don't think I ate anything. I was just drinking like liquid carbohydrates and like just yeah. eating salt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so anyways, man, life is good. I'm excited to be getting on this um new series that we're going to start here on the podcast. Uh, I think the title is just going to be what makes humans human, Mm -hmm. you know, and really the focus is we want to really take a deep dive into what the Bible has to say about the human constitution right? concerning specifically things like where do humans come from? Mm -hmm. Uh, What makes them up? Is it body, soul, spirit, or just body or just spirit? Uh, you know, how does personality get developed? Where do right. genders, gender and gender roles mm. come from, et cetera? So yeah. it's going to be really, really di- a diverse, I guess, subject mm. uh, or, or subjects and themes that we're going to be talking about. But if you're into psychology, if you're into the Bible, um, if you're just into learning stuff, <laughs> It'll be you're gonna, fun. this is going to be fun. So yeah. this is going to be part one of what makes humans human. And today we're going to have a conversation that's directed around... God's direct involvement in creating man. So the claim here that we're going to make, we're going to stand with the Bible, is that man was created directly by God. Mm -hmm. I know it's a strong claim in our culture nowadays. Yeah, Yeah, and it's important we do that because to understand personality, to understand where issues, mental illness, all those kind of things come from, we have to realize that we're working off of a fundamental belief of the anthropology of, of a man, meaning where he comes from, how we designed, where we created from. All those factors play into how we understand all the mental illnesses or personalities or whatever uh, we're looking into. And so, um, obviously, this is our belief, and we believe this the biblical belief, and we need to explain that out. But I think when we take some time to look through this objectively, I think... A lot of people assume that Christian worldview, the, the worldview of a, a creator God, is one of ignorance, one of just feelings, one of just, uh, you know, uneducation. And yeah. I think when we look at it objectively, I think you'll see that objectively it actually makes a whole lot more sense mm-hmm. than 
than what we're taught mm -hmm. uh, from a reductionistic scientific worldview. And I'll, and I'll say this too is is the I think there's a, there's a mistake in or when people try to pit science versus faith mm -hmm. or they try to make it you know an either or argument. Right. You know, science fundamentally is the wrong tool to try to explain supernatural phenomenon. Mm -hmm. Okay, because science is based in the natural realm and it requires naturalistic explanations mm -hmm. for things. So if you're trying to sit there and use science as a tool to prove the existence of God, it can only take you so far. It right. is ill-equipped. It is 100% ill-equipped mm -hmm. to explain supernatural things. It can't do it. Right. Fundamentally, at its very core, it would make it mm -hmm. makes no sense for it to try to use science as that tool. Yeah, it's not designed for that. No. And so if you sit there and go, well, I can't believe in God because science can't take me there, you're using the wrong tool, bud. Yeah. <laughs> you don't even, do you even realize that, you know? So I don't think a lot of people understand that, but science it's the wrong tool to try to understand the supernatural and God is supernatural. Mm -hmm. He exists with outside of time. He exists outside of creation. He's the only uncreated being. Yeah. And so again, we can't use science to try to get to God, you know, mm -hmm. and, um, Romans one talks a lot about that. Um, but we can use common sense, mm -hmm. right? And when we ask ourselves the question, how did all of this get here? Yeah. You know, and so our aim for this podcast series is not to um, polarize the camps of the science camp versus the faith camp. Right. What we're just going to say is, is that we are on the side of the word of God, the mm -hmm. Bible, and that we understand science as a tool to explain naturalistic mm -hmm. things, not supernatural things. And so that's our, that, that is our stance, and, and, and we, let, we think science is a wonderful observational tool. I mm -hmm. mean, but at the end of the day, it cannot explain um, or, or answer the question, does God exist? Right. But it can certainly point you, the evidence can definitely point you to the, right. the fact of a, of a creator. Right. And when you take both sets of data, the Bible and science, and look at things objectively, <clears throat> it, it helps even expand upon the the beauty and the just the awesomeness of God mm -hmm. too and and it also I think helps unlock more understanding for who we are in, yeah. in that way yeah and, and as we're going to discuss today it's actually impossible to rightly understand mankind mm -hmm. if you remove the creator God right. that's described in the Bible and so we're going to start in Genesis chapter 1 and 2 and we're not going to read the whole chapters but this is going to be where we're going to be talking from. So if you're at home, grab a Bible. You'll be able to look up the verses that we are going to be mentioning. Uh, if you're in your car, don't worry, because we're going to actually read the verses that we're mentioning as well. Mm -hmm. But the first the first kind of point here is that we're, we're trying to say is we got to start with with the foundation. And the foundation is, is that mankind has been directly created by God himself. Mm -hmm. You know, so first thing in Genesis chapter one, the first, <laughs> the first couple of words, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, period. That's the first verse. Right. And so it just assumes that God is an eternal transcendent being who right. is the cause of everything, mm -hmm. right? Because he's the only one there. And in that's the, what makes logical sense. In the beginning, God. And in the then beginning, God. everything else gets created. Yes. 
in the beginning, you have time, God, you have a creative uh, power. Mm -hmm. Then the word created is an action. Then you have heavens, which is heavens and earth, which are matter, right? So you have all of these different things that are available there just in that first verse. And God is assumed to be the eternal transcendent cause of, of all things. And then in the rest of chapter one, we see God using his spoken word to create all of the creation, yeah. this, the entire universe. And we're not going to dive too deep into whether or not it was six literal days or ages or eons, but the word there that's being used in uh, verses five, verses eight, verses 10, so on and so forth. The word there for day in the Hebrew is yad, which means a 24-hour solar day. Mm -hmm. So the word of God is telling us it's a 24-hour day, right? Right. So that's what it says. That's what we'll say. And we're going to take it at face value there because, and and it it makes me laugh sometimes when people are like, there's no way God could do that. Well, I mean, if he's God (laughs) and he created everything out of nothing, I think he's got the possibility to do it in however long he wants to take his time. Right, (laughs) right. So God is God, and by definition, he can do whatever he wants. Right. So... In the first chapter, we see God creating the entire universe. And then when verse 26 rolls around, mm-hmm. there is there seems to be a shift there that when we start to talk about mankind, God uses a different set of words. So in verse 26, he says, let us make man in our image after our own likeness. When he's taught, when God is talking about the rest of the created order, right. he says, like for example, in verse three, he says, "Let there be light." In verse six, "Let there be an expanse." Verse nine, "Let the waters, etc." Verse eleven, "Let the earth sprout mm-hmm. vegetation," so on and so forth. And by the time he gets to man, there's a shift in the words that he speaks. Now, God's word is very important, and subtle differences mean a whole lot. Mm-hmm. And God says, "Let us." make man in our image. And that's very powerful. The words make and made and then create in verse 27. Right. So God created man. These are these are words that shift the emphasis. And then also in verse two, in verse two, verse, uh, sorry, chapter two, verses seven through eight, right. there is the word formed when, when discussing mankind. It says, then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living creature. And so mm-hmm. make, made, create, and formed are three unique words that stress mankind's unique position right. in all of creation. Right. And it's at the end as well. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And it, and, it, and it gives a tone of um, extra care, you know, the, the mm-hmm. extra importance of... Uh, of creating man in God's image, the only bit of creation that gets the likeness of God and in in character, creativity, morality, all these things. Mm-hmm. And He takes the time to form, like you said. It, it, these words give us that uh, view and that feeling of of a closeness, a relationship. You know, right? An extra care, absolutely. In doing so, absolutely. And it's almost as if, like, well, actually, it is. I was I was gonna say it's almost as if like he takes man in his hands, right? But he does he actually, does, yeah. yeah. yeah he actually it. does yeah. when he forms man's body. And what I what I always think is fascinating, Chad. You know, I just had a baby girl. You've had two kids of your own. Mm-hmm. What I always think is fascinating is that it takes nine months 
for a baby to be formed in a mother's womb. Mm-hmm. And yet God created the literal, like the entire universe in six days. Right. Again, showing this, this unique position of mankind amongst everything else that's been created, including the animals, right? right? And so mankind is clearly set apart as unique in God's creation. And God is directly involved in the creation of mankind. And that's important, begin, again, because... You know, evolutionary theories, Darwinian evolutionary theory would say that no, um, mankind evolved um, given, you know, enough time and enough minute changes, you know, that's how we got mankind and that's how we got all living organisms that we recognize today. Absolutely. They have this upward mobility between species, you know, that that you can go from being a a single-celled organism Mm -hmm. to... I don't know, to a, a snail right. and then a snail to a fish and a fish to a bird. and, and, and Which I challenge everyone in that thought process too because never has it been proven or shown nope. that cross-cultural, evo- cross-creature evolution or any, a single-cell organism can then develop into multi-celled and, and all these complex beings. That's, that's, when you believe in that, realize how much faith you need to have for something that science says that it can prove but has never shown to it be It assumes true. it to be a fact because the key factor there is, well, given enough time, right? Right. And no one can live to see enough time actually happen. <laughs> right. I actually want to read a direct quote out of a book that I have here by Philip E. Johnson. It's called Darwin on Trial. Mm-hmm. You guys should read it. Philip E. Johnson actually just fairly recently passed away, I think within the last four years or so. But it's going to be a direct quote. on. It's found on page 28. Um, and... Essentially, the reason why I want to read this is because I just wanted, I want you guys listening to get some perspective from evolution b- believers uh, that I think will be interesting. And so um, this man named Colin Patterson at the American Museum of Natural History uh, was speaking. And, and Colin Patterson is a senior paleontologist at the British Natural History Museum. And he's also the author of that museum's general text on evolution. His lecture compared creationism, not creation science, with evolution and characterized both as scientifically vacuous concepts, which are held primarily on the basis of faith, right? So he, so this guy is claiming that even evolutionists, like Chad had just said, mm-hmm. they have to have faith in order to believe these claims. Absolutely. Which is, by the way, one of the, one of the, the sticking points that evolutionists, evolutionists like to say against people who believe in the biblical doctrine of creation that, well, you have to have faith for that to be true. Right. Well, so do you. Exactly. Anyways, I'll continue reading. Many of the specific points in the lecture are technical, but two are of particular importance for this introductory chapter. First, Patterson asked his audience of experts a question which reflected his own doubts about much of what has been thought to be secure knowledge about evolution. Quote, can, he's speaking at the American Museum of Natural History here. Can you tell me anything you know about evolution? Any one thing that is true? I tried that question on the geology staff at the Field Museum of Natural History, and the only answer I got was silence. I tried it on the members of the Evolutionary Morphology Seminar in the University of Chicago, a very prestigious body of evolutionists, and all I got there was silence for a long time. And then eventually one person said, I do know one thing, it ought not to be taught in high school. Mm. So there is an evolutionist saying, I know one thing about evolution, it shouldn't be taught in high school. That's the one thing that the prestigious body of evolutionists at the University of Chicago could say was a fact about evolution. But now it's it's taught in every university. <laughs> that was in 1981. 
elementary school and high school. Yep. Because in, until it's proven, you shouldn't teach it as fact. And once again, a lot of those evolutionary claims have never been proven to be true when it comes to that um, the Big Bang Theory, cross-species species evolution, all that kind of stuff. Yet, it it the reason why it's taught so freely is because it it kind of undergirds <clears throat> or holds up the no God view, which our world is is wanting to go towards. Right. So let's look at a couple other verses that back up this claim of God's direct involvement in mankind's creation. I'll read Psalm one hundred verse three. Check what the check out what this says. Psalm 100 verse 3 says this, Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. So it says that the Lord, yeah, he's God and he made us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, another one, Matthew 19, 4 says, He answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And I think those are Jesus' words actually. Those are Jesus' words. So in James 3, 9, is the last verse that we're going to look at. It says this, With the tongue, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. Again, so we have all the way from Psalms to the Gospels to the Epistles, the affirmation that God is directly involved mm-hmm. in the creation of mankind. Right. So that's the Bible's claim. Mm-hmm that God is directly involved in the creation of mankind. And this is important. It's got some pretty staggering implications. The first one is is that God is the precondition for mankind. Humans don't exist in a vacuum. In other words, they didn't just pop up out of nowhere. Right. Um, I'll read Acts 17, 24, and and, it says, The God who made the world and everything in it being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man. And so, um, once again, that implication that God came first, the precursor, and then verse 28 says, For in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of our own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring, speaking of God. Right. And even the 25th verse in that same section, it says that God is not served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. Right. So God is the, the, the precondition for mankind. And man can only be understood accurately from the starting point of a divine creator. Right. Accurately, I said. Man can be thought to be understood all kinds of ways. I mean, right. But that doesn't mean that they're right. And I, and I think that's why Romans 1 is right in even saying the arrogance of man who worship creation over the creator. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, how arrogant do we have to be as as ones who are created by uh, God to then begin to pretend like we're our own gods and need need no creator to right. answer to or to live by or to tell us how we should live. It, it's it'd be like your child you birth and right. raise up and then all of a sudden they're like, you don't know anything. And they're like toddlers and they run out. It's like ridiculous. You right? know, it's funny because we're going to get to that exact analogy in a bit mm-hmm. because it makes perfect sense. I don't want to jump the gun here, but the only reason that we're alive is because God exists. Mm-hmm. And it's because he created us. And like I just read, he sustains life by giving us breath. Right. I mean, 
the common grace of God is amazing because, mm-hmm. you know, the Bible is very clear that people are born with a sin nature mm-hmm. and that sin nature is hostile to God. Right. You know, the mind that's set on the flesh cannot please God. It can't submit to God. It has no ability to do that. And yet, because God is love, right. even though he hates sin, mm-hmm. absolutely with a holy hatred and he's angry at the wicked every day because of sin, he still gives all mankind life and breath right. and everything. Yeah, and it's it's so good for us to understand. I give a, a counseling uh, analogy here, what we use in counseling a lot, especially when it comes to things like grief. We counsel a lot of people who who struggle in grief over death or even if they get illnesses themselves. Maybe, maybe you get cancer and that rocks your world. And although, yes, I empathize and sympathize and we want to walk through that, but that all that reality does is bring you to the reality of our finiteness and the fact that our bodies are failing. They're eventually going to fail. They're always going to fail because of sin. Death is in the world. So we we get hit so hard when we know we have so much time left to live, but we don't live right now as if we, God gives us our breath and we actually don't know how long we have to live. Mm. Even though the reality is if God isn't sustaining your life, whether you have cancer or not or something or not, this could be your last day. Yeah. You cannot wake up tomorrow. You could get hit by a car. Like that is that is true even when you're healthy and happy. Right. Now, is it likely? Who knows? We don't know. But yes, if you're pretty healthy and all that stuff, the likelihood of you waking up tomorrow, pretty high. Sure. But people drop dead all the time who are yeah. completely healthy and this happened. Like and so that's why we're always like, man, the reality of God helps us understand and work through that grief because that's why we need to have an eternal perspective. I need mm-hmm. to know where I stand with God because this life is not the end for all of us. Right. Regardless of what we go through. Right. And so we need to cling to our creator and want to be with our creator. Right. <laughs> you know? Yes. And realize he's the one sustaining it. And, you know, just basic mathematics, right? Zero times Anything. I don't know what we're talking about now. Mathematics. <laughs> well, let me give you a lesson. <laughs> I know this much about math. Zero times anything always equals zero yeah. in multiplication, yeah. right? Yeah. Zero times zero equals zero. Zero times one equals zero. Yeah. And you can go add, you can go to infinity. Yeah, put anything on it. It's going to be zero, right? Something can't come from nothing. Right. No one times nothing does not equal everything, okay? <laughs> right. So evolutionary theory, this is probably the last time I want to talk about it. <laughs> But God is the precondition for everything. He is the first cause. Right. He has to be. Mathematical right. law will tell you that you can't have nothing times something is going to equal everything. Right. It just it can't be that way. Because even the Big Bang theory breaks down. It's like, well, where where'd the particle come? <laughs> right. Where'd the things that come for that exploded? Where's the first cause? <laughs> That's right. Where'd that you know come what I mean? From? So really, is it illogical to assume that there was a creator, and that if there is a creator, is it illogical then to assume that? If he, if, he, if he is loving, right, and if he wants to get to know us, you think he'd make it pretty easy to get to know him. Yeah. He would write it down. <laughs> I mean, I'm just saying. Yeah. Like, like, if he is a creator, then he is not going to allow you to define him. Yeah, right. No God is going to allow you to define him because then he would cease to be God by definition. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I'm getting fired up right now. Watch out. <laughs> I just realized I was yelling. Putting the preacher hat on. Watch out. 
I just, I digress. <laughs> Understand this, boys and girls and That's men so and true. women who are listening. Mm -hmm. Zero times anything <laughs> always equals zero. So there has to be a creator. Yeah. There has to be a precondition for everything. Right. And that, it has to be God. Mm -hmm. That's right. That's Let's good. move on to our next point. Direct creation by God means, and this is a big one, means that man himself cannot be God. I'll say it one more time. Direct right. creation by God means that man himself cannot be God. Which this is a huge point. Yeah. Because this is, that point right there is the main issue of our culture of humankind. The, the fall in Genesis 3, if you go and read it, the reason why uh, Adam and Eve disobeyed God was because of the promise that they would be like God. They wanted to be equal to God. They wanted to be gods themselves. That We call that pride. Mm -hmm. At the bottom of every sin issue, mental health issue, you name it, when you, when you boil it down to where it's coming from, it's always pride. Mm -hmm. Man wanting to be God by himself without any authority over top of him. Right. Let's just read a quote here from a Mormon leader named Lorenzo Snow. And he said, quote, as man now is, God once was. As God now is, man may be. End quote. This is categorically false. Let's hear what God himself had to say through the prophet Hosea in Hosea chapter 11, verse 9. Quote, for I am God and not a man, the Holy One in your midst. End quote. So maybe not what, what God or Lorenzo, which one you want? Yeah, <laughs> and that's you know, and anyway, the people who lump Mormons in in with other religions and stuff too, like this shows this is fundamentally not what the Bible says. So G there is one exception, and and that one exception is Jesus being the God, one hundred percent God, one hundred percent man. He is the God Man. How that works mechanically, I don't know. I don't need to know because right. the Bible just tells me that that is the truth. Right, but and, both do need to be true. Absolutely. Because in order to be a sacrifice for our sins, it has to be a man taking on the punishment for man. Right. But then at the same time, it has to be God, fully God, because only God can overturn or defeat sin and death. And it has to be an eternal, eternally yeah. valid. Exactly, because only, only the eternal God can then cover the sins from beginning to end. Eternally. That's right. And so Jesus being a man uh, gives us evidence of his humanness in the Gospels. If you guys aren't familiar with the Gospels, I recommend you pick them up and read them. Uh, Mark is a great place if you're in a hurry because the <laughs> number one notes. word that repeats over and over again in the Gospel according to Mark is immediately. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so if you want to get a quick Gospel read in, read Mark. If right. you want something more dense and, and to chew on, Matthew, yeah. Luke. Yeah. Uh, John is a different uh, account and equally as dense, but it shows Jesus as being God the yeah, most, I would say. It is the one that is focused most on the deity of Jesus, and it's also a more relational take from mm. John's perspective, who was kind of known as Jesus' best friend, the the disciple whom he loved, he always would say. Right, right. He's the one that Jesus looked down from the cross and said, take in my mother Mary, basically. Yeah. So you get a little bit more of that relational um, side of Jesus in that one too. Yeah. And again, that just shows his humanness. That's right. But wait, Mike, if Jesus was a human and you just told me that humans have original sin, well, Jesus can't be God. Well, that's the great distinction between Jesus being a God-man and me or any other human being, whether it's the Pope or it's 
Chad or it's, you know, mm-hmm. Pastor Sam or whoever. We all have sin except for Jesus because he was God and man. Mm-hmm. And we know this because the Bible again tells us in Hebrews chapter four, verses 14 through 16, says this, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted just as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Right. Isn't that great how, you know, Jesus can like relate to us? Right. <laughs> no, it's so good too because he is that connection. I remember um, we do the Jesse tree as part of our Advent stuff. I don't, anybody ever heard of those Jesse tree ornaments kind of just showing the line of Christ from beginning all the way through the son of David all the way through Jesse tree coming from Isaiah, talking about the root of Jesse, you know, Jesse being the father of David. Anyway, one of the stories that we hit is the Jacob's Ladder in um, in Genesis where Jacob has the dream. I think it's uh, Genesis 28 um, when he's about to go to, um, to, to Laban, to, ends up finding his wife's there. But Jesus, uh, but God comes to him in a dream and gives him that vision of a ladder where the angels are ascending and descending. And then, if you go to John chapter one, you see the parallel where he tells Nathaniel when uh, Nathaniel says he he thinks Jesus is is God just based on the fact that Jesus told him that he saw him under the tree before he even got there. And Jesus says, "You're going to see a whole lot more than this. You're going to see the angels ascending and descending upon the Son of Man." And what mm-hmm. he's trying to say there is. I am the ladder between heaven and earth. I am the connector mm. between humans and God. I am the way, the truth, the truth, the and life. life. No <laughs> one comes to the Father exactly. except through me. Exactly. Beautiful, man. That's awesome. And uh, yes, you were right. Genesis chapter 28, verses 10 through 18 or so. That's the dream that Chad was just mentioning there. If you guys want to go look it up. Yeah. And so Jesus is the only exception, um, being the God man. Uh, Every other human being that's ever walked uh, the face of this earth um, is not God, mm-hmm. cannot be God, and is um, does have the same issue. And our main issue is our sin. That is our biggest problem that we have to focus on. Mm-hmm. And as Chad just said, Jesus is the way to the Father. Right. And so if you want to deal with your sin, which is your biggest problem, mm-hmm. Jesus is the answer for that. It says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. If you, are, if you have not been saved, if you have not confessed that you are a sinner, then you are still in your sin. The first step would be to confess that, to agree with God's diagnosis of his creation, and then to reach out to the antidote, which is Jesus, right. to confess that you are a sinner, that you need Jesus that you believe that he is who he says he is, that you believe that God raised him from the dead and you confess Jesus as your Lord, meaning you begin your allegiance to following him. Right. And the Bible says you will be saved. That's right. So I just encourage you, if you're listening to this and you are not, I've just told you the way. <laughs> That's right. So the next point in our discussion about man being directly created by God, and this is a good one, and Chad already alluded to this one, but it, as a creature, right? Man is, a, is just a creature, mm-hmm. just like the animals are, just like even time is a creature in a sense. It was created. Yeah. Man is obligated to submit to God because God is his creator. 
That's right. And we use the dad-child analogy. Why don't you just give us a little bit of that dad-child <laughs> analogy, Chad? Well, you see a lot in Scripture, and I think uh, Scripture gives us a lot of these analogies to help us understand this eternal God that uh, the mysteries are well beyond anything we can comprehend, but puts it in a, a, in a way we can understand our relationship to him, and he often is known as God the Father. We understand that relationship, right, uh, as a dad. When your child is born, it's you protect, you provide, you teach, you discipline, you you love them, yet you, you want to help them grow. You can't let them just do whatever they want to do because it could be harmful to them, and you discipline them in order to help them to to grow in, in what's right versus what's wrong, to protect them, provide for them. It's a way of love. Obviously, all those things have, can be abused due to sinful man, but God does all those things perfectly. And so as a creature created by God, it is what's best for us is to have God. He's, yeah. he's the greatest treasure, and he protects, provides, teaches us, grows us, walks with us as we humbly submit and follow him. Yeah. When we when we try to be our own uh, God, mm-hmm. just like if your son, when he's well before he's ready, wants to be his own man, mm-hmm. it always goes poorly. Yeah. <laughs> it always gets messed up, jacked up, falls There's no apart. concept of what that even means. Exactly. And we're the same way. We It's so funny. Like, just think about how ridiculous pride is. We want to be our own gods, yet we need to eat. We need to sleep. Like, those are two things right there that show us we are not sufficient upon our own. Right. We need things to survive, mm-hmm. whereas God doesn't. Right. And so for us to, to kind of shake our proverbial fist at God in that way and act like we can do this all by ourselves, who the same God who holds every breath, gives mm-hmm. us every breath. <laughs> like, yeah. It is so arrogant and ridiculous. It's not even uh, funny. Just you like know? the son who wants to be his own man right. has no idea or no concept of what being a man is. Right. Just like that, we have no concept of what being God truly is. Yeah. Well, most of us can't make a decision on anything that's a complex issue. No. Very well. I don't want to. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like yeah, we're so wise. and We can't. Yeah, let, let's just look at our country right now. How's this playing out? Yeah. Everybody, everybody has their own opinion on how things should be ran. It's, it's like mm. herding cats. It's, it's all upside down. We've seen how that's worked out in the past. Yeah. Just read the book of Judges. That's the last line. <laughs> and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And that's probably the most graphically grotesque book yeah. of the Bible. Yeah, everything's It's, it's all bad. Right. <laughs> There's just no light in that whole book. Right, it's just falling you know? apart constantly. It's just falling apart. But again, this is mankind's primary issue. I mean, fallen man wants to act independently of his creator's will for him. Right. And he has no concept of how to even do that. Right. <laughs> we just do it because it feels good. I don't, right. I want to be able to do what I want, when I want, how I want to. I want to read Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 32, because it's going to illustrate just the just the, the, the stupidity of this whole thing. But it's also going to show us where man goes when he tries to be his own God. Yeah. And you guys listening, just listen to the words and see if you have noticed any of these things in our culture or in cultures of the past. Mm-hmm. Here we go. Verse 18, chapter one of Romans. For the wrath of God is revealed against heaven, against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has, has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly ex- uh, perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. 
For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their heart to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is forever blessed. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passions for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to their parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who who practice them. So we see a downward digression, not an upward progression in man's moral nature. And consequently, God gives them over to what they want. Right. If you don't want God, he's not going to force himself upon you. Mm -hmm. That's how you get to hell is you continue to say, I don't want God. And guess what? When you die, you don't get God. Right. It's as simple as that. Yeah, often we think of hell as just this torturous place and this big mean God sends us there, and that's not really the truth. Truth is, God sent his own son so that we could all know him. But like like Mike just read, if you continue to, to deny him and run from him and, and reject him, he's not going to force himself on you. And the, the, the problem of hell is the absence of God. God is light and goodness. So when you take away all good... What you're left with is all bad. And just like that list I just read. <laughs> that is gonna, that's what hell's going to be like. Right. Because God's presence will not be there at all. Yeah. And notice what happened. There was a transaction that occurred here. So I'll put this whole section in my own words. Mm-hmm. All you have to do to realize that there is a God is like the Bible says, look around. How did this get here? That's essentially what the first, I don't know, six verses were saying. Right. Just look at creation. Yeah. His divine attributes, his eternal power and his divine nature have been clearly mm-hmm. perceived ever since the creation of world in what? In the things that have been made. Right. So look at, that was made. Who made it? Right. It's not, you don't need to get too much crazier than that. It's just right. pretty straightforward. I don't know. That that got made. And I mean, how many billions of years did it take for that thing to finally yeah. form in all the, th- like, come on. Yeah, come on. <laughs> you can sit there for an infinite, infinite amount of time. Right. Without a creative force, nothing is going to be created. Exactly. I mean, it just I mean, don't happen. How does creation just, it functions in such rhythm and, and like... Beauty. And, and you're going to tell me that that just, that just happened. Yeah. Come on. So that's what the first six verses are saying is essentially, look, if you just, everyone is without excuse because it's obvious that someone made, something, someone made this whole thing we know as creation. And so right. 
the transaction that occurred, it says that in verse 22, claiming to be wise, they became fools. They right. said, oh, no, I know better. Someone didn't make this. It just appeared. <laughs> oh, what wisdom. Wow. Well, what is needed, <laughs> good sir? Billions of years. And uh, Small, minute changes. That's right. Evolution. And, and uh, okay, sure, that sounds great. You don't need God for that. I like that. Verse 23, it says that those who, be cl- who claimed to be wise became fools, and here's the transaction, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man. Right. And birds and animals and creeping things. And then again, in verse 25, it says, because they exchanged the truth about God mm. for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, that was the transaction that happened. And because people make a, a, a de- deliberate decision mm. not to seek after a creator God, right. right? Now, just looking at the natural evidence is not going to necessarily take you to Jesus, but it's going to start you on the path of right. trying to find the God of all creation. Right. We can at least establish, okay, something created this. Something created this. So, yeah. And then you go down a journey of, okay, who do I, who created it? But people have to make a decision and begin, again, because of the original sin, we as the creature don't want to worship the creator. Mm-hmm. We are the, the prodigal son that wants what he wants and he wants it now. Mm-hmm. And I don't want you to tell me what to do with it. Right. That's essentially what all of us are. And that is the problem. Again, we keep coming around to this is the problem. The fact that we're in defiance of God's will for our lives. And because we're in defiance, things get worse, not better, as that passage clearly mm-hmm. said. And it says actually that we're storing up wrath. Like, again, when we die, there's going to be two paths. Either the path to God, which if you weren't already wanting God, you, didn't, you weren't on that path. You weren't on the path to life. You denied God. You didn't want God. You exchanged the the truth for a lie. You were deceived. And so the other path is hell. That is the wrath of God. God is present in hell, but he's present in a way you don't want him, right? Mm -hmm. God God is everywhere at all times. Right. He's present in his wrath. And yet you don't have to choose that. Again, we come back to the gospel. Mm -hmm. Jesus says he is the only way, the only only way to the Father. He is the way, Mm -hmm. the truth, and the life. And so, man, you're not free to just do whatever you want as if your actions have no consequences with God. Everything has to be viewed in light of God's will for mankind. I want to read from Ecclesiastes, if I can turn to it real quick. Ecclesiastes chapter 11. Chad, if you get there first, go ahead. Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verse 9. Because this is going to solidify that point that man is not free to just do whatever he wants as if he will have no consequences with God. I got it right here. Okay. It says this, Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verse 9, Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and in the sight of your eyes, but know this, mm. that for all of these things, God will bring you into judgment. Especially talking to young guys. Yeah. Young guys are invincible in their mind, right? <laughs> right. They're just like, I am never going to die. I'm the strongest, most best look. You know what I mean? Like guys are, yeah. young men are usually pretty full of themselves. That's right. And- you know, the writer of Ecclesiastes is saying, hey, have fun. Yeah. Just, just know this, that you're going to be judged for everything you do. Right. So don't forget that. And there's nothing new under the sun. <laughs> and, and, and it's, not, it's, it's all worthless. So because God is directly involved in the creation of mankind and because he is the creator, man is obligated to submit to God. Mm-hmm. 
It just makes logical sense. The final point in our discussion here today is man has a unique role in God's creation. And Chad, I want you to, to really just dive into this um, because this is, this is really, really important mm-hmm. and takes us from kind of some, some more, I don't know, theologically heavy stuff to some yeah. more practical stuff. Like, hey, what's my purpose here as a, as a person, right, on earth? Like, why did God create mankind? So we're looking at, gen- again, Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 28. Yeah. And we're going to start there. Yeah, and he's saying, you know, he created man in his own image, right? The, the purpose of man is to be reflectors of the image of God. Before sin entered into the world, being fruitful and multiplying, literally what God was doing, because God deserves glory. He is God. He is he's the only perfect holy being. And he created this man, man and woman, in his image for the purpose of spreading his image throughout the entire earth. So if you think about it, it's it's a, in a lot of ways like like a monument in a way, like to give an analogy. Mm-hmm. If you go outside of um, like Staples Center and you'll see like statues of of uh, Hakeem, or who's that, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, yeah. so I was trying to say, or, you know, a, a basketball players or, you know, statues of presidents, you know, like we have uh, Jackson Square, Andrew Jackson, and we see these monuments that right. bear the image of the original, Right. Well, essentially, that's what the purpose of man was, was to live in relation with God and multiply and spread the earth full of image bearers of God, which is humans created in his image. Right. That's the purpose. And so, practically speaking, our purpose, uh, first and foremost, is to make disciples and multiply. Right. You know, um, multiply. spread the image. As As a father and a husband, my job is to as having physical babies is to raise my children up in the way of the Lord, Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9, um, that we're going through as a church at the Field Church right mm-hmm. now. So you can check out the Field Church podcast and hear the sermons on that. But then also as a, an image bearer of God to the lost world, friends, people, coworkers, neighbors who are without knowledge of God, to share the truth of Christ, share the gospel so that they may know him and become image bearers themselves. And so making disciples is the way that we spread the image of God. That's mm-hmm. that's the purpose of man is to worship and glorify God right. and to make more images of God. And Psalm 115 verse 16 reiterates this truth. It says this, that the heavens are the Lord's heavens, but the earth he has given to the children of man. Mm-hmm. So it's a gift. You know, God is love, and biblically love is defined as giving. It's not an emotion. Um, it's, 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 it's evidenced by self-sacrificially giving of, your, of, of yourself right. for the good of the other person. Right. And so God gave us the earth to steward, to mm-hmm. rule, to subdue, right? right. To spread take, and fill, spread the image of God. dominion over, which was, you know, to, to rule and, and to reign as, as image bearers of God. On right. Earth. And we're, we are to be good stewards. You know, one of Absolutely. the big things in our culture now is climate change. And, you know, I personally have nothing against taking care of the earth. We, I should, mean, we yeah. need to. For That's actually our God-given mandate, you right. know. Um, we just can't put that as an idol in the place of worshiping God. Exactly. Obviously. But, yeah, we should take care of the earth. We shouldn't Absolutely. throw trash everywhere. We shouldn't just um, 
consume for the purpose of con- consumption, <laughs> right? Yeah, all yeah. those things. Yeah. And so, you know, God has given us this place called Earth to to spread His image, to to be His image bearers, like Chad said. It is our responsibility, and even in eternity, mankind's going to rule forever with Christ in the new earth. You know, mm-hmm. this this earth is not the the last one, uh, according to the Bible. This earth is going to be destroyed by God Himself and recreated, and that's in Revelation chapter twenty one. Verses, uh, verse 1 and chapter 22, verse 5, if you guys want to look at the end of the entire Bible in Revelation chapter 21 through 22, it's pretty phenomenal. But mankind is is going to be... You want me to read those real quick? Sure. Revelation. I was going to say mankind was gonna, is going to be mm-hmm. responsible for stewarding the world, even in the new earth. Right. Yeah, Revelation um, 21, verse 5 says... Verse 1. Or, sorry. Revelation 21, verse 1 says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And then uh, Revelation 22, verse 5 says, And night will be no more. They will need no light or lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. So we will be reigning in the new earth with God himself. Right. It's it's phenomenal, and, and that's a whole nother series of podcasts, you know what I mean? <laughs> right, but right. but just to illustrate the point is that, you know, we have a unique role in God's creation. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, practically speaking, we've kind of gone over some of those practical applications of that truth. The final point today, I'm sorry if I said the last one was the final point, because this is the final point. Right. <laughs> Man was created to give God glory, mm-hmm. to give God glory. And Chad already alluded to that point, but Isaiah chapter 43, verses six through seven, God calls his sons and daughters to come to him. And he says, everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Right. And the apostle Paul says in Ephesians chapter one, verse 11, that Christians have been, quote, predestined according to the purpose of him, that is God, who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Mm-hmm. God has made us and we are created for his glory. Right. right. And just very practically, I love how Paul lays it out in 1 Corinthians ten thirty one. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. It's, it's the most all-encompassing passage of scripture in the world <laughs> right. in terms of your behavior. Um, Jesus himself even teaches on the Christian's role in society as being, quote, salt and light Mm -hmm. in Matthew chapter five, verse 13 through 16. And and he connects that reality to our purpose of glorifying our father who's in heaven. And he says this, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your father who is in heaven. And that's a really, really insightful passage. Mm -hmm. You know, I've often asked the question earlier on in my faith, well, if I'm saved, then why doesn't God just take me right to heaven? Mm-hmm. What's the point of keeping me here? Right. I'd rather go to heaven anyways. Right. Well, that's your answer. And the other question for, for the Christian who's listening to this, you know, our, our job is to give God glory. Does your life, does your good works give God glory or do you try to take it for yourself? Mm. When someone looks at your life, are they saying like, man, look, he's so good because he's a good person. Or do you live in such a way that people know who you serve and they say, man... His God must be good because look at look at how good he or she is. Right in that way, and so real quickly, just like a practical application, because that's a really those are real theological terms. Giving God glory, right? right? Well, what does that mean? Well, Paul says it like you already said. Like right. no matter what you're doing, you're supposed to be giving God glory. So, mm-hmm. what's a practical way for us to understand that in our vernacular today? Yeah. Well, it, it starts with who and what you worship. Worship defined very practically is is 
who you look to for hope, what you spend your time on, what you seek, what you what you put your efforts into, all those things are uh, reveal what you worship, what you put your hope in, your identity in, right? And so that's why Paul can say that because if your hope, your identity is in Christ always, then whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, you're doing it to, to the glory of God, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so with that being said, it's, okay, how do I treat my my friends how do i treat my spouse how do i spend my time what do i spend my time on mm-hmm. how do i steward my money how do i steward my body all those things are a reflection of what you worship mm-hmm. and how you steward it and so if it's selfishly motivated and at the heart level then you're not giving god glory you're doing it for your own glory mm-hmm. but if you're doing it out of worship and service to the lord if you're thinking man i you know what I want to get up every day and work out because I know I'm designed to to move and I know my body functions best and I want to be able to to um, to do my best in life and God designed this way and and thank you God for giving me a body and so I'm going to go work out because because that's a good thing to do and I'm doing it because I'm thinking of of how God's designed me in mind mm-hmm. or man I want to go work out and get six pack abs so when I go to the beach like the girls think I'm hot right I'm, you know it's like yeah I'm totally doing different. the same action. With a totally different heart attitude. Right. It's the same thing. I'll give a practical example in church. I say this often. Two people can go to church, sing the same songs, you know. Um, they can both raise their hands during worship. Yeah. The same, same movements, right? Let's say we do that. Hear the same sermon, pray the same prayers, and walk out. One could be in sin and one could be worshiping God. What's mm. the difference? Why they did it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. So like a, a one sentence, I think it was, I was uh, as I was listening, I think I would say it this way, like whatever you do, do it as if God is watching and he'll be pleased. Yeah, that's, that's a fair way to put it. Yeah, All right. Do it with God in mind. Do it with God in mind. You know. Because he is watching. That's right. <laughs> and, you know, the two greatest commandments, love the Lord your God, throw your heart, mind, body, and soul. Yeah. So you're doing it with that in mind, like, hey, I just want to please God. And then love others as yourself. Yeah. Because I worship God, I want to love others as God has loved me. Yeah. And our last podcast was all about gratitude. Yeah. And the Bible talks about gratitude so much. And and God actually asks for a sacrifice of thanksgiving, like Mm -hmm. we talked about in our last podcast. Mm -hmm. So if you're working out, how do you do that to the glory of God? God, thank you so much for giving me a body that moves. Thank you so much for giving me this opportunity to, to train you yeah. know, like basic stuff like that. You're just living in a in a, in a heart of gratitude right. towards God for his right. blessings on you, even though I am not deserving right. of them. And that all comes out of humility because I don't, des- like I could, God could give, he could be right and I could be paralyzed. I could be, you yeah. know, like not everybody has that same ability. Right. We, the abilities that we take for granted, the smallest things, eating and drinking, doing it to God's glory. Not everybody has food every day. Right. You know, there's so many things. Man, that's a whole nother podcast <laughs> yeah, right there. You know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah. that's a, gratitude is one very, very easy way to understand how you would eat and drink or whatever you do, do for the glory of God. Do it right. with God in mind and do it as if he's watching and if your aim is to please him. Yeah. So in conclusion, basically, we we discussed the fact that God is d- involved directly in creating mankind. And, and this has some pretty serious implications. One, that God is the precondition for mankind. Mm-hmm. Like humans didn't come out of nowhere zero times anything always equals zero. So you had to have a, a one in that equation, right? If we're right. using a mathematical term there. But God is the first cause to everything. That's just what makes sense. Mm-hmm. The second implication was that because God is directly involved with creating mankind, that means that man 
cannot be God himself. Right. And we went over that at length. The, sec- the third one was is that because God is the creator, well, man is obligated to submit himself to God. And our actions, although we may think, cannot be done independently from God. That we are obligated to live our lives for God's glory, which is the final implication of that is we are unique in that we were created for God's glory as his image bearers here on the earth to steward the earth and to spread his image throughout the world. And why this is pertinent to the Nehemiah Project is because in the counseling room, we get a lot of people that come in and they don't understand why they've been created. Fundamentally, they think that they just evolved. And that decimates your sense of reality, Mm -hmm. your sense of worth, your sense of dignity. It has far-reaching complications. And so we have to start with this foundation that we at the Nehemiah Project believe that God created directly mankind. And that is our foundation that we're going to start this series off of what makes humans human. Right. We're excited to keep this thing going. Next week, we're not going to pick up part two, but a week after that, we'll have part two out for you guys. All right? All right. We'll see you soon. Bye. This podcast is being sponsored by Dickie Lyons and Paul Hodge with Varsity Wealth. Varsity Wealth is a financial planning firm that believes everybody deserves to be aware of what's possible. They help clients with the basics like budgeting biblically and getting out of debt efficiently, all the way to sophisticated planning of investment management. They have clients throughout the country and would love to be a resource to you. You can contact them for a free consultation at 985-246-5857 or email them at richard.lyons at nm.com. If you're interested in sponsoring this podcast or donating to support the work of the Nehemiah Project, you can reach out to us through our website, tnproject.org, or by emailing our intake director at laura at tnproject.org. Thanks for listening to the Nehemiah Project podcast. For more resources about addiction recovery, suicide prevention, and overcoming other life-controlling issues, you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram and visit our website, tnproject.org. If you or someone you love is struggling, don't hesitate to reach out to us by calling 985-205-3022.